And this morning, we're continuing our little series looking at the life of Abraham. And as you can see from our series title, uh, the story of Abraham is not so much a story about Abraham. It's a story about the beginning of the story of Jesus. You see, these events, they may have occurred thousands of years before Jesus walked the earth. But when God chooses Abraham in Genesis 12, he is setting in motion a plan that he had from the very beginning of time to gather to himself people from every tribe and nation. You see, from this one man, Abraham, God will grow a whole nation. And from that nation will come one man who will grow a people that come from every nation who worship the one father through the one son in the power of the one spirit. You see, Abraham's story is the genesis of the gospel story. And so because of that, this story actually helps us to understand the gospel. It actually helps us to understand the good news that we believe about Jesus. And so last week we saw that just as he did with Abraham, God reaches out to us. He invites us to stop worshipping the things of this world and to instead enjoy being blessed by him in ways that blow our mind. That's how God calls us, just as he did to Abraham. And this week we're going to see that Abraham shows us exactly what faith in God shouldn't look like and also what it should look like. And so when we're dealing with something as important, something as precious, something as life-changing as faith in the God who made us, well, we want to make sure that we're listening carefully. We want to make sure that we see what God wants us to see. And so we're going to begin by praying and asking that God would help us do just that. So let's pray. Now, Lord, we thank you that in this story we have not just an interesting story, but the story of your plans to save people for yourself. We thank you that in this story we can learn what you are like, that we can learn about how you relate to us and that we can learn how we can relate to you. So Lord, would you help us to see what you would have us see in this text? Would you work in us by your spirit, grow us in our faith, so that we may live with you as our God, our Saviour, our King. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, the descendant of Abraham. Amen. Well, if you missed last week, uh, we began in Genesis, well, the end of Genesis 11, but Genesis 12, where God calls Abraham. He took someone who was as far away from God as you could imagine, right? He was worshipping false gods. He was living in the anti-God capital of the world, Babylon. And yet God said, I choose you. You're going to belong to me. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make my plans for the world happen through you. And that's exactly how God works with us. We don't deserve his love. We don't earn his love. But he chooses us. Well, in the beginning of Genesis 12, God tells Abraham to leave his country, leave his people, leave his family 
to go to a new land, the land that God promised to give to Abraham's family forever. And so Abraham goes. He trusts God. He obeys God. And so where we left off in verse 8 of chapter 12, Abraham builds an altar to God. And then it says that he calls on the name of the Lord, which is simply a way of saying that he worshipped God. You see, God called Abraham. Abraham calls back. He worships him. God blesses Abraham, so Abraham blesses God. And so where we left off last week, like things couldn't really get any better. God is happy. Abraham is very happy. He's got a plan. He's got hope. Everything is awesome. But where we get to in Genesis chapter 12 today, things change. And it doesn't take very long. You see, God has hardly finished telling Abraham about all the ways that he's going to bless him. And then in verse 10, we read, Now there was a famine in the land. Now, famines are a bit of a foreign concept to us, really. You know, we freak out when there's no chicken on the shelves at Coles and we have to eat beef instead. That's the extent of famine in our lives. Uh, Famine is far worse than that, isn't it? You see, for Abraham and his family, famine was the guarantee of a slow and miserable death. You see, we only ever experience famine from a distance. You know, we're seeing it right now in Afghanistan, but all we do is see it on the TV screens or in the news. But to help that be real for us, today in Afghanistan, 60% of the population, which is about the population of Australia... They won't have enough to eat. Almost everyone in Australia not having enough to eat today. 8.7 million won't have anything to eat. It's difficult to see how things are going to change there, isn't it? And so friends, we must pray. We must pray for Afghanistan because it's, famine is bleak. It's miserable. It's real today. And it was real for Abraham and his family. Those first few words of verse 10, they are a big problem. There was a famine in the land. But for Abraham, the problem is bigger than just not eating food. Because remember, the famine comes in the same chapter in which God tells Abraham that he is going to bless him. That God has barely finished telling Abraham how good his life is about to become And the next minute, he's facing starvation. See, the famine is cause for Abraham to doubt God's promises, but not only that, it also causes him to doubt God's plans. Because this is happening right in the place that God told Abraham to go to. This is the promised land. God has said, go to this land and I will bless you. Abraham went and now he faces famine. You've got to think, what's Abraham going to be thinking right now? God has just promised to look after me. I did exactly what he asked me to do. He told me I should trust him, and now he's pulled the rug right out from under me. So what's Abraham going to do? How do you respond to this test of faith, this challenge, this speed bump on the road? Should he keep trusting God? Should he believe that God will actually do what he said he would do, even when the circumstances seem to indicate otherwise? 
Or should he ditch God's plan, go a new direction, leave the land, go elsewhere to find food? Well, we see he chooses option two, doesn't he? God said, I will bless you in this land, but Abraham goes to another land. God said, trust me. And Abraham said, I do, but I'm just going to go take care of things myself. And even if you might give Abraham the benefit of the doubt here, maybe he's just being wise and going to find food for his family. What he does next shows that Abraham's faith has failed. Because have a look at verse 11. As he was about to enter Egypt, he says to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. That's a nice compliment. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. Do you see what he does? He's so concerned for his own safety that not only does he lie, but he also hands his own wife to be the plaything of a foreign king. He's got no concern for what might happen to her. He's hungry. He lies. He throws his wife to the dogs and he does it all by his own admission in verse 13 so that I may be treated well. You see, Abraham's journey of faith may have started out strong, but the first test comes along and our hero just crumbles. He doubts God's promises. He abandons God's plan and he sacrifices his wife to protect himself. Why would he do that? How does the one who was willing to leave everything to obey God, he left country and people and family to obey God's call. How does he turn so quickly to doubt God? Well, the answer is fear. It's fear of starving that sees him leave Canaan. It's fear of what Pharaoh might do that sees him lie. It's fear for his own safety that sees him abandon his wife. You see, Abraham lets fear triumph over faith. Now, fear is a powerful force, isn't it? Some of you experience it regularly. It keeps people from sleeping. It stops people from being able to function as they should. It does other things. It creates panic buying at the supermarket. It causes murders and riots and war. It can make the stock market crash. It can make the housing market boom. Fear is a powerful force. And it works in us by causing us to doubt what is real, to doubt what is true. And so when it comes to the gospel, fear destroys faith because it causes us to doubt God. God says, I love you. Fear says, oh, does he really? It makes us doubt that God is real. It makes us doubt that God is good. It makes us doubt that he actually cares for us. It makes us doubt that his way is best. It makes us doubt his promises. And friends, sometimes that will be obvious in your life. Sometimes you will see fear, you know, right up in your face. But more often, it works in really subtle ways. And so it's helpful for us to actually stop and and recognise where fear 
can impact our faith. Now, take myself for an example. I've always been someone who's been fearful of what other people think. As an example, I remember being in high school and being too scared to actually admit what kind of music I liked because I was so scared of what people might think and so scared of being teased. Now, today I couldn't care less. I will happily tell you that I enjoy British indie rock and I also enjoy show tunes and I have no shame in that. I will sing you, you know, Broadway musicals as much as you like. That's fine. But uh, while the actual specifics of what I'm scared of may have changed, I, I still have that fear of what people think. I want people to like me. I want people to approve of me. But over the years, I've come to see that fear of other people's approval, well, it destroys faith. It erodes at my trust in God. Because faith is caring more about what God thinks than about what other people think. And God and people are looking for very different things from me. You see, fear of what other people think destroys faith, but so do other kinds of fear. If you fear failure, you'll continue to put your trust in your own efforts instead of trusting in God. If you fear suffering, you'll avoid doing things that Jesus says you should do. If you fear dying, you will live your life too preoccupied with this world and not preoccupied enough with the life to come. You see, fear erodes at faith. In Abraham's case, it caused him to walk away from the promises that God had made to him. Abraham, the hero of faith, Fails, But as you move into chapter 13, we see God give Abraham another chance. And in verse 5 and 6, we'll see the next test to Abraham's faith. But sandwiched between the story of the famine and him travelling to Egypt and the story of the separation from Lot, there are four little verses that actually show us the key to overcoming fear. In these four verses, we see how we actually let faith triumph over our fears. Because it's all well and good to be able to recognise your fears. That's helpful. But knowing that I'm scared of what people think doesn't actually change the fact that I'm scared of what people think. You see, I actually need something more. Abraham knows that he's scared of dying of starvation and he knows he's scared of what the king of Egypt is going to do to him because his wife is good looking. What he needs is something that will grow his faith. And in verses 1 to 4 of chapter 13, we see just that. The first thing we see in verses 1 to 2 is God's mercy. You see, when Abraham leaves Canaan, lies to Pharaoh, abandons his wife, God would have had every right to say, okay, the deal's off. I'm done with you. Back to Babylon you go. But you notice he doesn't do that. And in fact, not only does God not punish Abraham, he actually blesses him. See, after discovering Abraham's lie, Pharaoh returns his wife, sends him away. And then in verse 2 of chapter 13, we just get this little line that Abraham had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and in gold. 
Now, why is that line just stuck in there? Well, you see, not only did Abraham escape Egypt with his life, which was more than he deserved, and with his wife, which was more than he deserved, but he left Egypt with more than what he had arrived with. You see, God was so kind to him that even though he screwed up, God still came good on his promises. He still blesses Abraham out of sheer grace. Abraham doesn't deserve it. Abraham failed. He he just abandoned God's plan, and yet God blesses him. Friends, if you recognize fear in your own life, the first thing you need to do is be reminded of the character of the God that we worship. Be reminded of the kind and merciful God who called you into relationship to himself. He reached out to you. He's patient with you when you fail. He doesn't expect that you're perfect. He knows what you're really like. He's growing you. He's not happy with where you are, but he's moving you along. But he's patient. He is slow to anger. He is quick to forgive. And even though we keep failing to trust him, just like he did with Abraham, he continues to bless us. Isn't that remarkable? Our God is a kind God. He is patient with your fears. Even though you're scared of things that he says you don't need to be scared of them, he is patient with you. So remember that. If we're going to overcome our fear, we need to look at God and see his character. The second thing that we see in this little bit of chapter 13 is that we need to actually repent. And that's exactly what Abraham does. But you're looking going, I don't see him repent. What's he talking about? Where's he getting that from? Now, remember, the word repent means to turn around. If you're going one direction and you repent, you turn the other direction. And that is actually quite literally what Abraham does. You see, he retraces his steps. In chapter 12, Abraham went from a place between Bethel and Ai to Bethel, to the Negev, down to Egypt. And then in chapter 13, after Pharaoh finds out his dirty lie, he kicks him out, but he leaves Egypt, travels to the Negev, to Bethel, back to the place where he had built an altar between Bethel and Ai, and there he worships God. You see, he's just retraced his steps. He's gone back. He's stuffed up and abandoned God's plan, and so now he repents. He turns around. He turns back and says, all right, let's try this again. Let's do this your way, God. He goes right back to the place where he first called on the name of the Lord, where he first worshipped, and he worships again. You see, he says, let's do this again. I stuffed up, God. Give me another chance. God gives him another chance, and this time he gets it right. Because as we move on in verses 5 to 6, we see a new test of Abraham's faith. See, Lot, Abraham's nephew, also has lots of wealth. He's also got lots of livestock. He's also got lots of servants looking after all those livestock. And he and Abraham have so much that the land cannot support them. There's fights between the shepherds. Things aren't going well. Something needs to change. And Abraham, well, he's got sort of three priorities that he can address, can't he? He can make God a priority and live in the land that God promised him. 
He can make his relationship with Lot a priority and, you know, care for his family member, his nephew. Or he can make his own wealth a priority and make sure that he's got enough land for his possessions. But you see, he can't have all three of those things. Something has to give. If he takes the land for himself, he'll have to send Lot away and then he might lose the only family member that he's got left. If he lets Lot have the land, well, then he has to take his herds elsewhere, out of the land that God said he should live in. So he'll be disobeying God. You see, if he wants to obey God and he wants to keep Lot happy, the only thing he can do is give up his wealth. If he's going to live in the land and Lot's going to be there too, well, Abraham's going to lose his sheep. Now, if Abraham was fearful at this point, What's he going to do? He's either going to ditch God or ditch Lot, right? But this time things have changed. He's not scared of those things anymore. He knows that God has promised to bless him. He knows that he is secure in his relationship with God. He knows that God has committed himself to him. And so what's Abraham do? He puts it all on the line, doesn't he? He says, Lot, it's your choice. You go this way, I'll go the other way. You go that way, I'll go this way. You have first pick to his nephew. You know, Abraham had all the rights to say, no, I'm the senior member of the family. You get what I don't want. But he let, he let Lot pick. Do you see how different this is? He's no longer fearful about keeping his wealth. He's no longer fearful about the things of this world because he knows he's got something better. In Egypt, he abandons everyone else out of fear of what might happen to him. But now he has no fear. It doesn't matter if he loses his wealth. He doesn't even need to think about how can I try and keep God happy and keep Lot happy and keep all my possessions. It doesn't matter anymore. He can just give it up. Because he has something better. He has the God who made the universe who has promised and committed himself to him. A few sheep is nothing compared to what he has from God. And friends, you know it's the same for you. You see, it's really easy for you to let fear override your faith. It's so easy for you to worry about the things of this life so easy for you to worry about your money, to worry about your safety, to worry about what people think of you, to worry about whether you're going to achieve the things that you want to achieve in life. And it's so easy to let those fears take hold and make us forget what is truly real. And so we need to remind ourselves this morning. Be reminded from God's word this morning that God is real. His kindness and mercy to you is real. He has already forgiven you for your failures to trust him. He has already wiped the slate clean by sending his son to die in your place. His grace to you is real. He has blessed you in ways that will just blow your mind. You can't even imagine He doesn't just not punish you. He gives you more. 
He invites you into an eternal life in relationship with him. His blessings are real. His promises to you are real. He has promised that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He has promised that he cares for you. And he's promised that if you trust in his son as your king and your savior, then you have nothing to fear in this life. Nothing. You can lose everything and you haven't lost anything. You see, we've all got fears. We're all scared of something. Some of you will admit it. Some of you won't. That's okay. But if you allow those fears to take control, they will destroy your faith. Or they'll at least undermine it. They will threaten it. And when the fear becomes big, when it becomes too real, that's when you'll just abandon God. So friends, keep your eyes fixed on what you know is real. What is true. On the kind and merciful God who reached out to you and welcomes you. He wants to bless you as his dear children. Friends, when you keep your eyes fixed on that God, faith will triumph over fear. So how about we pray and ask that God would help us trust him. Let's pray. Now, Lord God, there are so many things that do worry us, things that we fear in this life. We like to think that they're not as big as we sometimes let them be. But, Lord, we know they're there. When we say them out loud, sometimes they feel silly. But, Lord, we are so prone to worry about things that might happen to us, worry about what people think, worry about whether we are safe and secure. And, Lord, we're reminded as we look to you that you have provided far more than we need. That you have promised us eternal security. That you've promised to provide for us in ways that we don't even see. That you've promised to bless us beyond our wildest imagination. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us to keep trusting you, even when the circumstances might lead us to doubt. Help us to trust you when we face persecution for our faith. Help us to trust you when it means sacrificing comfort in this life. Help us to trust you when the truths of your word don't seem true. Help us to trust you when we're hurt by other people, even your own people. Lord, remind us that you are the kind and gracious God who stopped at nothing to welcome us into relationship with you. Remind us that you are good, that you are merciful, and that you are more trustworthy than anyone else. Lord, would you grow our faith so that we might persevere to the very end, confident that you are our God, our Father, and our King. And we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.